This episode of Tearsheets Payments Podcast is sponsored by Quavo and their first-of-its-kind fraud AI, Aria, capable of integrating with any core processor or chargeback management software to provide issuers and their clients with consistent and compliant decisions within seconds. Hey there, welcome back to What's Happening in Payments. I'm your host, Ismail Umar, and in today's episode, I'm joined by Brian Demir, President of North America at Adyen. Adyen is an Amsterdam-based firm that allows businesses to globally accept, process, and settle e-commerce, mobile, and point-of-sale payments. It acts as a payment processor for some of the biggest brands across tech, retail, travel, restaurants, and more including names like Spotify, Uber, Facebook, LinkedIn, McDonald's, eBay, and L'Oreal. Brian has been with Adyen for the past seven years, and prior to that, he held a variety of product roles at Google and Airbnb. Brian and I will be talking about a number of topics, including his experiences at Adyen, how he's seeing a shift in consumer culture and expectations across generations, the potential long-term effects of COVID on consumer behavior, and the role that Adyen wants to play in the future of payments. So here's my conversation with Brian Demir. Uh, so my name is Brian Demir. I'm president of North America for Adyen. I've been with Adyen for seven years, uh, first five years as head of product, and for the last two years, general manager in North America. And because no one uh, gets a degree in payments, I, I got into this space uh, via fraud prevention, actually. So previously, I worked in fraud prevention at both uh, Google and Airbnb. Right. And can you talk about how your previous experiences at Google and Airbnb informed your current role at Ardeen or when you joined, like uh, your experience at Ardeen? Yeah, I, I think that's a really fantastic question. I would I would probably point to two things. I, I actually think that fraud prevention was one of the first areas in which machine learning really became relevant in the broader uh, financial services fintech space. Now we actually see it extend into other areas, in particular around performance optimization and a lot of the things that we're doing. And and but I think you know years ago that was probably the the first area in fintech where I think ML and AI was really having a moment because it was needed to tackle different problems. Uh, so that comes to mind. And I, I would say the second thing would be just understanding the consumer and really empathizing with the consumer. Uh, because the whole point of fraud prevention is to actually uh, put yourself in the shoe of the fraudster. Um, but of course, a big part of fraud prevention is reducing false positives and thinking like consumers that might look like a fraudster, but ultimately aren't. And then you can sort of segue into a lot of the things in payments, which is, well, how do consumers act? What payment methods do they prefer? And then obviously walking backwards from that to build uh, a payment solution that meets the needs of companies trying to reach those consumers. Mm -hmm. And now can you expand a bit on, um, I think you've been at Adyen for um, six years. So can you talk about how your experience has been and also your current role as um, president of North America? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's been six, seven years. And, uh, you know, when I joined, we were, uh, I think, 120 people, um, maybe a little around 10 offices around the world. Now we're you know, processing, you know, north of half a trillion dollars in payments, 
2,300 employees around the world, 25 offices, right? Uh, but I think the core of what we've been doing really remains the same, right? Which is to have one global platform um, that meets the needs of companies all around the world. But what I think has actually changed over time is, you know, we really started in the digital space, you know, digitally native companies uh, like your Microsofts uh, and your Spotify's and trying to help them go all over the world, you know, light up dozens and dozens of countries with their offerings. And that's still a really big area of focus for us. Um, but along the way, what we realized is, you know, there was a big change in consumer expectations around the unification of the experience across channels. You know, we used to call that omni-channel and now we call it unified commerce. And what happened is, you know, whether it was retailers, the food and beverage space, hospitality, you name it, you know, these digital channels started becoming more and more relevant. So we started focusing on, you know, how can we offer an in-person payment solution that seamlessly also works with a digital solution and brings this all together? And then, of course, COVID happened and just catapulted the need for that, you know, across segments and verticals significantly. And then finally, I would note in the last two years, we've got this really, really huge trend of platforms, you know, uh, verticalized SaaS platforms, realizing that one of the offerings that they can provide is embedded payments and embedded financial services. So when I look back at the last six or seven years, it, it kind of breaks into those three big moments, digitally native, unified commerce and platforms. And now we find ourselves today uh, really meeting the moment of digital transformation across all three of those areas. Right. And can you also expand a bit on audience plans for international expansion um, generally around the world and also specifically like within the U.S.? Yeah, great question. So um, uh, maybe to take a big step back on how Adyen does things, we are an end-to-end -end financial technology solution where uh, we go from when you send us an API call all the way to direct connections to the networks and payment methods in question, and we do them with our own licenses. So whereas other providers might offer gateway services or really just an API layer, we're going super deep. And that lets us perform better, gives better authorization rates, lots of, uh, lots of efficiencies in that. Um, and today we offer 250 plus payment methods around the world, and we're able to offer our end-to-end -end acquiring solution in Europe, US, Canada, Mexico, Brazil, Singapore, Hong Kong, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, Malaysia, and I'm, I'm sure I'm leaving one or two out. Uh, but your question was really, where are we going from here? And I would say uh, it is continued expansion across those geographies with, with I think, a specific emphasis uh, on APAC and LATAM, where there continues to be proliferation of payment methods and really, really large growing economies you know, that our customers are looking to go after. Uh, but I'm glad that you actually mentioned also domestic U.S. because there's a duality of, of where Agent operates in that we, we definitely want to bring the world to our customers, um, but we're also a really serious domestic player here in the U.S. market. In fact, you know, North America accounts for about a quarter of Agent's overall business, and we're growing 70% year over year. Um, and I think what we're focusing on here is really just focusing in on the fact that this the the payments experience and the payments dynamic really fundamentally changed in the last two or three years, especially in the US. I mean, if we were having this discussion maybe even five years ago, this would be a very easy discussion. It would be cards, 
primarily credit cards, but debit, of course, being relevant, uh, and maybe PayPal, and then we could kind of call it a day, and we would be talking about all the things therein. But I think we've seen an explosion of payment methods and experiences, whether it's buy now, pay later payment methods, uh, peer-to-peer apps like Venmo and Cash App transitioning to be payment methods as well, as well as the relevancy of the debit networks as they enable uh, digital payments over the last couple of years. And then you could even get into open banking or account-to-account banking payments uh, as well. So I think what our customers are seeing is, you know, a very simple market a few years ago has suddenly become very, very complex. So what we've been focusing on is going very deep into all of those solutions, having our end-to-end solution for that, and really offering one API that can unlock this domestic market, if that makes sense. This episode is sponsored by Quavo. Quavo's first-of-its-kind fraud AI ARIA is capable of integrating with any core processor or chargeback management software to provide issuers and their clients with consistent and compliant decisions within seconds. ARIA reduces fraud and dispute losses by automatically collecting all of the information required to complete a reasonable investigation for each fraud case, as well as a successful chargeback recovery whenever possible. For more information about ARIA, head over to quavo.com. You mentioned like an explosion of payment trends and uh, payment options uh, over the last few years. So can you maybe expand on one or two of them? What trends do you think are the most significant happening right now that uh, people in the industry need to be thinking about most from the ones that you mentioned? Like you mentioned BNPL, you, you mentioned P2P. Like where is the payments landscape evolving and what are the most significant trends you're seeing right now? I think it's a fantastic question, and I, I think in discussions like this, we can get a little bit too myopic and talk about the trend of the moment, right? And we could talk all day about buy now, pay later and what that means and whatnot, but I think it's probably more important to take a step back and, and note that I think a couple fundamental things have happened with millennials and Gen Z, which is, A, there's not a explicit trust link to banks. You know, payments at the end of the day is about trust. Do you trust Visa, MasterCard, Amex? Do you trust your bank and the brands associated with that? And I think, you know, previous consumer cohorts, uh, you know, your baby boomers and whatnot, there really was really only that trust built up with explicit banking institutions. And I think what we're finding is that the new consumer is okay trusting a tech company, basically, and you could you know, name half a dozen of them that have gotten to that trust level. So that's a fundamental shift in how the consumer thinks. And then next to that, there are changes in behavior around comfort with credit, credit products, uh, the reliance on rewards programs to uh, obtain consumers, so on and so forth. I think, I think it, it's to, to be seen how Gen Z and late stage millennials evolve as their income goes up and as they have access to more credit, will they remain credit hesitant or will they continue to be more the kind of person that either uses a buy now, pay later or a wallet or a debit card? So these two things are, I would say, the overarching themes, and then they manifest in a whole different a cohort of entry players into the space that are taking market share. And some of them are buy now, pay laters. Some of them are wallets. 
Some of them are peer-to-peer -peer platforms. And I'm generally not a very good predictor, but if you asked me to, I would say over time, they'll all converge into offering the same types of services and more of a super app capacity. But the important distinction here is that the consumer now trusts these brands who aren't explicitly a bank. And therefore, we're going to see more of a variety of payment method offerings going forward uh, in North America, for example. Right. And uh, of course, with the pandemic, we've seen a lot of these shifts that uh, that you're talking about. The pandemic has obviously a great uh, role to play in, the, in those shifts. Do you think going forward, these changes are permanent? And how long lasting do you think they will be for payments? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a great question, right? And I think the longer uh, the pandemic sticks around, I think we need to start looking at, okay, yeah, how much of this change is permanent and how much of it was transitory behavior, right? And I think the numbers at a macro level, and you can look at, you know, what the card networks are saying and so on and so forth, show a slight pullback from the extreme growth of e-com um, during, during COVID and more of an equalization across traditional in-person uh, channels as well as travel and these sorts of things. But, you know, th that's comparing, you know, that moment where basically everything shifted to digital. And then, of course, you know, everything needs to come, come down a little bit from there. I think if we look at the actual cohort analysis, I think what that would show you is, well, Gen Z from the, the get-go was, was digital and they've remained as such. Millennials were split. And I think I think what is going to show in that is that they're going to stick around and, and really be pretty explicitly digital going forward. And your older generations, your, your your baby boomers and what have you, I think some will stick around, some will go back to their previous behavior. But in the end, what this is going to create is, is more and more need around these digital experiences and channels, because all three of those cohorts uh, are having people that are sticking with it. I'll, I'll give you a really great example. I literally before this, I was catching up with a colleague in the park. We stopped at a cafe. Line was out the door because it was uh, you know 9 a.m. here in San Francisco, and uh, I didn't want to wait in line. I had the app for that cafe already installed, and I was very comfortable in that moment ordering on that. We went for a walk around the park and came back and picked up the order, not having to wait in line. I mean, these sorts of experiences are now absolutely an expectation. And what we noticed at the beginning of this year is, whereas in previous years, companies and management teams were sort of triaging and they were trying to like stop the bleeding. The beginning of this year, there was, a, there was an explicit remit basically within every company that we talked to, to digitally transform. And that's going to have big effects going forward because any brand that touches consumers now realizes they need to have robust digital channels because in the end, those channels are going to take the lion's share of, of, of the consumer uh, attention. Absolutely. And keeping all of these shifts in mind, what uh, would you say is Adyen's vision for this year and going forward? Uh, you did talk a little bit about um, like international expansion, but generally, what role does Adyen see for itself in the coming years? Yeah, that, that, that's a fantastic uh, question. And uh, I, I might have used the phrase earlier in this discussion, but I like to say meeting the moment because we were created around 10 years ago uh, with some fundamental principles. 
One is that we were channel agnostic from the beginning, right? We, we were created post, uh, you know, dot-com era. So we never had the challenge that a lot of our incumbent challengers and, and competitors have, which is multiple platforms underneath, one for in-person, one for in-app, one for digital, online, you name it, right? We were, we were built sort of channel agnostic from the get-go. And the other is, is that we have one global platform and instance uh, around the world for our customers. And what's happened since we founded as a company is the need to be more global is obviously manifested, but perhaps most importantly, because it's also relevant for, for domestic customers, at this point, you can't not have a unified commerce strategy. Um, you need to be able to offer a consistent experience across all of these channels, and therefore you need a channel agnostic provider. And I think the difference between you know what we were doing over the last couple of years and 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 what what our competitors were is we already had the flows that our customers needed, and many of them already had them built out. But you know when when things really hit the fan during COVID and. Uh, our customers had to light up, for example, touchless QR codes on terminals or contactless payments in general, or even just ramping up a digital channel that never existed for them before. You know, we already had those capabilities. So going forward, I think the mission remains the same because COVID established the uh, expectations uh, of, of uh, the consumer. Next to that, uh, I will say another area of focus for us is, is just the overall embedded finance and, and platform space. Um, I think just like how we're seeing that our, our customers are meeting that moment in terms of digital transformation, platforms uh, are also needing to do that for their end merchants who are SMBs. We offer a, a, a product called Agent for Platforms that allows those platforms to offer digital and unified commerce payments to their end customers. And I'll just give an example, like uh, Zenodi, uh, who offers a verticalized SaaS solution for uh, spas and salons, uh, a modernizing medicine that does the same for clinics. You know, their customers in the end are small businesses, salons and clinics and whatnot, but they're reacting to the same exact trends that enterprise uh, companies are in terms of, I need to offer a website, I need to offer contactless payments, digital payments, unified commerce, all of that. So by offering up a platform solution, those SaaS offerings are able to effectively white label us and sort of meet the moment just like we are on the enterprise side. So I would say that's the main area of focus for us for the coming years, power digital transformation uh, for our enterprise clientele and VR platform offering do the same for SMBs during this moment of significant transformation. Wonderful. I think we've covered most of the basic questions that I had for you. Do you think there's something important that you, you would like to mention that's relevant? Um, I, think, I think we covered a lot of ground. I think the only other thing that I would touch on, uh, and, and it's an extension of the overall uh, platform space, which is the topic of embedded financial services and embedded financial products. Um, there's one thing to, to offer payment processing as a Zenodi or a modernizing medicine, which I, you know, I just mentioned before. But one area that I think we're seeing increasingly very interesting is can those platforms actually offer a wider set of financial services? For example, can you extend capital to those small businesses? Because 
as a payment processor and as a platform, we would see the performance and seasonality of that business and therefore have all the data necessary to be able to extend that capital to them. And if you want to extend capital, would you allow, for example, instantaneous settlement of those funds onto an issued card that's branded with that platform? And you could think of other services from bank accounts to FX, so on and so forth. So I think an area to watch to anybody who's uh, interested in the overall area of fintech, uh, of course, is digital transformation. Next to that, it's then verticalized SaaS offerings, integrating payments. But the new frontier is those platforms now offering uh, embedded, broader financial services. And you know, companies like Agin are really sort of uh, uh, stepping up to the plate to offer API-first solutions for that. Awesome. Ryan, thanks a lot for sharing your insights. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for taking the time. You just heard my conversation with Brian Demir, President of North America at Adyen. You can read the full transcript of our conversation on the Tearsheet website. And that brings us to the end of today's episode. As always, thanks a lot for joining me today, and I will catch you back here in two weeks.